0: hey there it's tuesday february 21st 2023 we've got all the latest cannabis news coming up so get ready the marijuana industry is constantly changing with new laws rules and regulations you need to know what's happening we keep you up to date by bringing you the latest information on the marijuana industry so get ready because this is the m news now You may have already heard the major social media news. Twitter is now allowing cannabis advertisements. And not only that, but they're also offering financial incentives for cannabis brands to advertise with them now, by price matching. The newly updated drug policy page on Twitter states that they'll now permit approved cannabis, including CBD and cannabinoids, advertisers to target the United States. This has already been allowed in Canada, where cannabis is legal on their national level, but until now, that's not been possible in the United States. MJ Biz Daily said an email that they viewed specified Twitter's allowing advertisers to promote brand preference and informational cannabis-related content for CBD products, THC products, and cannabis-related products and services, such as delivery services, labs, growing technology, search engines, and events. Of course, there are some restrictions on the new policy, though. First, while cannabis-related content, such as the products and services, are allowed, promotion of selling actual cannabis is not, so only cannabis-related products and services, not the bud itself, can be for sale. Another restriction is that the companies may not advertise products that contain more than 0.3% THC, which is highly limiting. The ads can also not make any health claims or show any images of consuming cannabis. There are additionally restrictions regarding who the ads are targeting Cannabis ads must only target the locations where the business is licensed and only advertise cannabis-related ads to people who are age 21 and older. Overall, though, even with these restrictions, this new policy change marks a huge step for the cannabis industry. It's a total game-changer. Twitter is now the first of all the major social media platforms to take this step, and hopefully not the last. But as of now, sites like Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok all still have very tight bans on cannabis advertisements. This change is one of many since Twitter was recently taken over by Elon Musk. From the beginning of Musk's announcing his plans to take over Twitter, he's made it clear that he intends to make changes to the social media platform, but Musk never publicly said anything about planning to change this particular ban on cannabis ads. So the announcement did come as a bit of a surprise. It was a surprise, but not a shock, because Musk has publicly shown support for cannabis in the past. Most famously, he smoked during an on-air interview with Joe Rogan back in 2018. And now, Musk is continuing to show his support for cannabis. Part of the rollout plans for allowing advertisements included a financial incentive that Twitter is offering to kick off the ban being lifted. Musk has offered to value match up on every advertising dollar that's spent over the next month. So if you spend $1,000 on ads, Twitter will match it, and you'll essentially get a value of $2,000 of advertising with them. They're going to extend this match up all the way to $250,000 in advertisement spending with them. But the offer's only good through March 31, 2023, so you have to move fast. To help extend this value to all of those in the industry, Twitter said that they'll not require a minimum spending amount for cannabis companies. And that's fantastic for smaller cannabis companies out there who can now afford to get in on advertising, even if they only have a few dollars to spend on it. The co-founder of the Cannabis Media Council, Amy Dennison, told news site Politico, that's one of the most generous things that an advertiser and publisher relationship can kick off with. The very first cannabis company to jump on the new permissions and incentives was multi-state operator TrueLeave Cannabis, who launched their campaign just after these announcements were made by Twitter. But they certainly weren't the only ones, though, as many more have already followed suit. Online cannabis marketing resource company AdCan said that last year there were more than 20 million tweets about cannabis on Twitter, which makes cannabis one of the most talked-about topics on this platform. With that type of popularity, cannabis advertisements are sure to show up more and more on the platform, especially in the beginning with these financial incentives. Kate Lynch of Curaleaf said, We're hopeful that this will serve as a catalyst for other social media platforms to follow suit. In addition to hoping more social media sites will also lift their bans, Twitter's change on policy stance could also help in the overall cannabis legalization movement in this country by helping to reduce stigma and moving towards more mainstream normalization for this truly amazing plant. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, or DEA, has made it very clear that they officially classify Delta-8 and Delta-9-THCO acetate to be Schedule I controlled substances. The declaration was made in a letter responding to a request from North Carolina attorney Rod Kite. Kite had written to the DEA last August asking what the control status of THC acetate ester was on the Controlled Substances Act. Kite told Cannabis Business Times in an email that his letter had said, in part, I represent many businesses in the hemp industry and began to see the proliferation of THCO products on the market. Since THCO is not produced by the cannabis or hemp plant, I had concerns that the DEA would view it as illegal, synthetic THC rather than lawful hemp. The DEA's response letter took six months, but it was finally issued on February 13, 2023. And in that response letter, the DEA said unequivocally that Delta-8 and Delta-9-THCO acetate are considered to be Schedule 1 controlled substances on the controlled substances list. The DEA stated that because Delta-8 and Delta-9-THCO do not occur naturally in the cannabis plant and they're synthetically made, they don't fall under the definition of hemp. The DEA's letter went on to say that they've similar chemical structures and pharmacological activities to those contained in the cannabis plant, so they meet the definition of tetrahydrocannabinoidals. And they, and products containing them, are controlled in Schedule 1 on the Controlled Substances Act. Kite told Cannabis Business Times that he agrees with the DEA's response regarding THCO, but he disagrees with their view of Delta-8 status. Kite said that Delta-8 is naturally produced by the hemp plant, where THCO is not. A controversial cannabis bill is being withdrawn for more editing and rewriting. The Rhode Island bill, S-125, was written with the intention of banning the use of cannabis in any gathering of three or more people. Violators would be slapped with fines ranging anywhere from $500 to $1,000. Rhode Island legislators had passed recreational adult-use cannabis legalization last year, and sales were launched shortly after that, in December 2022. The sponsors of this anti-group usage bill are six senators, including the bill's main sponsor, Senator Walter S. Faleg Jr. He told Marijuana Moment via email that the legislation has been withdrawn for more editing and rewriting. He didn't say what they were editing or how the bill would change, and he also failed to explain what they were thinking and why. The idea of banning gatherings of three people from smoking together seems rather ridiculous. The bill, prior to being rewritten, had stated that hosts of more than two people must take all reasonable steps to prohibit the use or possession of any marijuana or other controlled substances by anyone at the gathering. The bill had first been introduced in early February and then withdrawn just a few weeks later for revision. As this bill is the first of its kind across the nation— this one will be something that everyone in the U.S. cannabis industry will want to keep an eye on to see what happens when it's eventually refiled. New Jersey cops will now officially be allowed to use cannabis in their off hours. The state's adult-use cannabis sales began just one year ago, on April 21, 2022. And at that time, New Jersey's Attorney General, Matt Platkin, issued a memo to law enforcement agencies and police chiefs regarding the new law and how it affects their staff. He basically said it was okay for law enforcement employees to use cannabis in their off-hours. His memo specifically said that agencies could not take any adverse action against any officers because they do or do not use cannabis off-duty, and that officers could not be fired for it. Following that initial announcement, though, opponents saw to it that those rights were quickly revoked, and that prompted months of back-and-forth negotiations on the issue. Well, now they seem to have settled the issue for good, and officially announced their new clear guidelines on the matter. These guidelines say that New Jersey police officers will not be subject to cannabis testing anymore unless they're on duty, or if their specific position requires federal oversight and or drug testing. Those types of federal positions would include things such as special task forces or those who hold some type of federally regulated license that requires drug testing, like a pilot license. But despite these new rules and police being allowed to use cannabis in their off hours, They are still, of course, absolutely banned from any type of cannabis consumption, whether it's recreational or medicinal, while they're on duty. Platkin's memo said, To be clear, there should be zero tolerance for cannabis use, possession, or intoxication while performing the duties of a law enforcement officer. A House committee in New Mexico advanced a bill this past Friday, February 17th, which opens the possibility for firefighters to be able to use state-legal medical cannabis when off-duty. The measure, House Bill 292, is seeking to redefine the term safety-sensitive position in regards to a Compassionate Use Act that regulates New Mexico's medical marijuana program. The bill proposes to define it as only being applicable to jobs where a person is required to carry a firearm at work or drive a vehicle. So if this bill passes— it would then make it possible for jobs such as firemen who aren't driving the truck to be able to use medical marijuana when they're off-duty. The bill was sponsored by committee chairwoman and Democratic Representative Liz Thompson, among others. Thompson emphasized to the rest of the committee that medical marijuana would be valuable to firefighters in particular because they often deal with job-related post-traumatic stress disorder. She said, If you don't have PTSD by the first day, you will by the second. And I can truly see that, so we're just trying to give them another option to deal with the traumas that they see every day without it being alcohol. Another person who has spoke before the House committee emphasized that passing this bill would help more than just firefighters. Miguel Tipman is the president of a local firefighter union branch, local 244 of the International Association of Firefighters, and he represents 900 firefighters in Albuquerque and Bernalillo County. He told the committee that passing this bill will affect a lot more employees in the state than just firefighters, but it'll positively affect our population so much. Tittman also pointed out that other communities have already initiated similar measures with success, such as in Vancouver, Pittsburgh, and New York City. On the other side, though, one of the measure's critics, Republican Representative Harlan Vincent, said he was concerned that passing this measure would jeopardize public safety by possible impairment while on the job. Vincent said, if somebody called 911 and they're having a heart attack, I want my people dialed in, razor sharp, and to give that person in our community every possible chance that they have to survive. Again, though, this measure is only related to off-duty cannabis use, and Representative Vincent doesn't seem to understand that difference. Besides this cannabis measure, New Mexico's legislators are also currently considering a measure to allow for more clinical trials to study the effect of medical marijuana on military veterans with PTSD and pain management. That measure is called the Medicinal Cannabis Research Act and is being reviewed now. Virginia Republicans moved to defund the state marijuana regulators. Since 2020, Virginia's had a very limited state medical marijuana program. And one year later, in 2021, Virginia's former governor, Democrat Ralph Northam, signed recreational adult use into law. However, there's no place in the state to legally buy it, and that's because there's no regulatory framework yet in place. Sales were set to begin next January, 2024, but that was contingent upon regulations being in place. But that hasn't happened. Ever since Republicans won control of the state House of Delegates and Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin replaced the past Democratic one, They've been trying to block all efforts to create that regulatory framework, which would mean that sales cannot start. According to insiders, Virginia's Republican legislators have a history of trying to undermine the state's legal marijuana industry. The most recent way they've done this is when the Republican-controlled state General Assembly Committee blocked a bill that was structured to set up adult-use sales regulations. And by blocking that, no regulatory framework is created, and sales will not be starting in January. In addition to blocking that bill, Virginia's Republican lawmakers have also been trying to cut nearly 70% of the state's Cannabis Control Authority's budget. They presented a proposed state spending plan which slashes that budget by $13.4 million over two years. That was just a proposal, though, and the budget is not final and still subject to negotiations over the next few days. But if passed, it could drastically damage the state's current medical marijuana regulatory system. A study recently published on JAMA Open Network shows that while cannabis can bring on early onset psychosis in certain individuals, it's not much of a concern for the general population. Researchers used the Optum Clinformatics Data Mart database to investigate psychosis-related claims in relation to state legalization. They poured through millions of pieces of data on individuals' diagnoses, medications, follow-ups, prior to, during, and after state legalization measures. And what they concluded was that states who had enacted cannabis legalization policies showed no significant increases in either psychosis-related diagnoses or prescriptions for antipsychotics. The only very minor change that they observed was in a super small subsection of the population they studied. Specifically, it was men between 54 and 64 from an Asian demographic. They were the only group who showed a very slight increase in psychosis-related diagnoses in states where cannabis had been legalized. The researchers did point out, though, that this was a very limited study and the data they focused on was only for those who had health insurance, since that's where they were able to get the data. As such, the researchers hoped to continue to study the subject on a broader basis. Another recently published report, this one by the journal Psychological Medicine, found that there was no link between states with legal access to cannabis and any increased likeliness of developing substance abuse problems. Researchers said... Cannabis legalization was associated with no other adverse outcome, including cannabis use disorder. They also noted that residents who were living in legal cannabis states didn't appear to show any increase in problems associated with mental health, relationship, work, or finances. The study was done by observing 240 pairs of twins where one lives in the legal state of Colorado and the other lives in Minnesota where cannabis remains prohibited. They used twins for the study as a way to control a wide range of variables, such as age, social background, early home life, and even genetic inheritance, because these factors could influence health outcomes, so using twins would alleviate those problems. The lead researcher on the project, Stephanie Zellers, said that there was no difference between people living in a state with legal access or not in regard to whether or not they go on to try harder drugs, such as heroin or methamphetamine. So this rejects the gateway drug theory that some opponents are still trying to hang on to. In addition to all these results regarding cannabis, the study also found out very interestingly that people who lived in cannabis legal states were less likely to develop alcohol use disorders or drive drunk. Overall, though, as with any study, researchers acknowledged that while the results are promising, studies do have limitations and could always use more research. The next time you hear someone criticize cannabis legalization because of their fears over potential teen use increasing, you can let them know that federal studies actually show that cannabis use by teens is trending downward as states legalize the plant. A federal biennial report has just been released titled, The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Youth Risk Behavior Survey. And this federal study has found that teen cannabis use has declined from 2019 to 2021, And 2021 actually had the lowest rate in a decade. That's when states began legalizing for recreational use, back in 2012. This new federal study directly contradicts cannabis opponents who fear that legalizing adult use would lead to an increase in usage by teens. Cannabis advocates, on the other hand, have long maintained that legalizing adult use, along with proper regulation and legislation to uphold things like ID verification enforcement, would reduce teen use just as this federal study confirms that it has. And this study is not unique. There have actually been many prior similar studies. Last year, for example, another federally funded study by the National Institute on Drug Abuse was published in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine, and they also found that state-level cannabis legalization was not associated with increased youth use. Michigan State University researchers have also conducted federally funded studies that published their findings in the journal... PLOS 1 last summer they found that cannabis retail sales might be followed by the increased occurrence of cannabis onset for older adults in legal states but not for underage persons who cannot buy cannabis products in the retail outlets in addition to these there've also been numerous other studies with similar findings from multiple agencies including many more that are federally funded some of these are the coalition for cannabis policy education and regulation the national survey on drug use and health the Journal of the American Medical Association, the U.S. Department of Education's National Center for Education Statistics, and earlier studies also done by the Center for Disease Control. North Carolina is one of the few states that have not enacted any type of cannabis legalization measures yet. But despite the lack of laws being passed, the public has shown that, like the rest of the country, residents are supportive of it. A recent poll interviewed nearly 1,000 voters earlier this month in this state, and the vast majority of them, at 73%, said they will support a proposed bill to allow the use of cannabis in North Carolina for medical reasons. This echoes the results from another poll that was done last year in May of 2022, which got even higher numbers of support. The group Carolina Partnership for Reform found 82% of North Carolina voters they spoke to were in favor of legalizing medical cannabis. That particular poll also asked voters about recreational, or adult use, legalization, and they found 60% who said yes to that as well. But despite the public wanting it, North Carolina legislators have not yet gotten anything passed. Last year, a medical bill passed through the Senate, but at the time, the House Republicans blocked it from advancing. This past month, that bill was refiled after some changes were made. North Carolina's Senate President pro tempore, Phil Berger, told the Trying It Together podcast that the updated legislation is well-constructed and has addressed many of the concerns there had been with the prior version. Meredith Poll Director David McLennan said, There may be enough new members in the legislature to get the legalization of medical marijuana across the finish line in 2023. Good luck, North Carolina. We're rooting for you. That's all you need to know for today. Be sure to keep listening for the latest updates. And follow us on... TheMNewsNow.com Later!